episode 11 of Speak Better. I'm Rebecca Lindquist, also known as Lindquist the Linguist, and this podcast is all about how you show up when you speak, when you present, when you communicate with others. Whether you're a native or a non-native speaker, you may want to improve something about your voice quality or about your clarity or about any other area we'll be discussing, such as your accent, your dialect, how you word things, your messaging, or also perhaps your vocabulary, any of those things. But today in particular, we're going to be focusing on the area of connecting to your audience. Now, this is advice everyone gives you. I can't think of a time when someone asked what's important about my speech, especially when it's a presentation, that someone didn't say, hey, you got to connect to your audience. But easier said than done. How do you go about doing that? I think it's different if your audience is you. That is, if you're the same person you're speaking to, if you're a salesperson and you're speaking to salespeople, or if you're talking about women's rights and you're speaking to women, or you are speaking to a group of people who come from your background and you're talking about people who come from your background. The challenge is when you're talking to people who are outside of that. And to give you an example, sometimes we use our vernacular, the vocabulary around what we do for a living when we're talking to our customers. And that can be off-putting. So if I talk about inventory, for example, when I'm talking to buyers and sellers of real estate, as a real estate agent, you might talk about inventory a lot, meaning how many houses are on the market. But when you're talking to people who want to buy houses, you probably want to say there's not much of a selection on the market, not there's a low inventory. It sounds sort of remote and it sounds like you're talking to people who are like you. But let's say you're making a video for other real estate agents that you're training. Then you probably do want to talk about lower high inventory. So again, you have to know your audience. And if you don't know, you can usually figure it out. I know as a coach, many times it will be a blind spot for people I'm working with. And they'll say, hey, I thought I was talking to my audience. What do you mean? And especially if you used to be part of that audience and things have changed. So for example, if you got promoted into leadership or you changed industries or companies, you might need to reevaluate. That's where feedback comes in. We've talked often about that. We have a whole segment or episode on feedback. But the idea is that you've got to know what other people think of you. And it can change over time. I think that's one of the most interesting things is you can be in your sweet spot and you can assume that you're going to stay there, but time moves on. And you may become more senior in your position, more knowledgeable, but you may also lose touch with people. And so you really have to probe that. You have to, whether it's questionnaires or whether it's asking people for feedback or simply being aware and attending your own speeches. Often today, that's just listening to the recording. And we've talked about how people don't like to do that, but you have to listen back and know what's going on. And you have to know whether or not you are communicating with your audience whether you're truly connecting, how are you going to know? For one thing, I was watching one of my clients speak and I was given the full video. And that's kind of nice when someone shares the video with me when they're public speaking. And you can hear that everybody was laughing at his jokes. And this person said they didn't think they hit their sweet spot. They didn't really think they were doing a good job. But it was so interesting to me that people were uproariously laughing every time the person told a joke. That doesn't always happen. I've had clients who are very serious and wish they were funny. So you kind of have to embrace what you're good at, 
I don't think this person wanted to hear that because the goal was not to be funny. But if you're good at humor, that's a skill. That's a talent. You should go ahead and embrace it if you can. And of course, if you want to work on something else, you can. But you have to know what you truly resonate at, what you're good at, what people like about you, and then go for it. And then do those things because often that will be what makes you a better speaker. That will be what skyrockets you. That will be what attracts people to you. That will simply be your sweet spot. And we can't always choose our sweet spot. Sometimes it comes to us and we may wish we were doing something else. I'm not trying to discourage you if you want to move into a different profession, but the key is to be aware. We talk about how awareness is the first thing. And so you have to know. I often think of people who are starring in a TV show and they're so popular and then they leave the show and they move on and you never hear from them again. It's so common because often we don't make that transition into something else well. Even if it's just an actor taking on a different role, we may not find that we're as successful in the new role. And that could be okay, but it might also be a big disappointment. But I think connecting to your audience is really key. And beyond laughing, there are other ways that people connect. I think you're nonverbal, and we'll be looking at syncing verbal and nonverbal communications later, but using nonverbal communication that supports your messaging. Like when you're joking, your hand movements can be a little bit gamey, you know, can be a little bit different. When you're being really serious, like you're talking to stockholders or something at a shareholders meeting or something like that, you're not going to want to be as boisterous and move around as much. We talked earlier about how if you're talking to a group of techies, you're probably not going to want to be as boisterous again and move around and be as crazy as if you're maybe motivating salespeople. And you can think of famous speakers that you know, like Tony Robbins, for example, has a lot of energy when he speaks and he's jumping up and down and sweating. And that's not for everybody. So you have to know your style and your audience and you have to be able to accommodate them while not compromising yourself. If you try to be someone you're not, that's not a great way around. So you have to be able to find your sweet spot and be able to communicate your messaging while maintaining your integrity. You don't want to have to violate things that you hold dear. You want to be able to be honest and straightforward and authentic, but also help your audience understand. And there are many, many ways to do that. What we're talking about here is what you can do with your voice and your speech to make sure that you are communicating and connecting. And sometimes just taking a moment to look at the audience, they will give you feedback. If everybody's looking at their cell phones and, you know, reading their email, then they're probably not listening to you and there might be a reason. There are times when you have to communicate a message that's boring for whatever reason, like you have to communicate the earnings report and it's not interesting to some people, but you still should have that respect of your audience and that attention. They should be looking at you and focusing on you. And if they're not, you need to know about it because it could be your eye contact. It can just as easily be your nonverbal as your verbal. It may not be that your voice is unpleasing or it may not be that you lack credibility. It may be that for whatever reason, people are disengaged, but you need to start to know what those reasons are. Now you can do a survey and ask people. I don't know how honest people would be. I think you can also make your talks, just like we do in training or teaching, make your talks more interactive. And that is give people an opportunity to respond to questions aloud, to raise their hands, which some people think is gimmicky. 
you know, where you say, okay, raise your hand if you agree with me. But the idea is that if people are physically involved, they're more likely to be listening and more likely not to get distracted or to go off in their own little worlds. Our attention spans are so much shorter than they used to be. You know, we talk about how people have anxiety issues and they have problems staying connected. And there are so many reasons that today with all the conflicting priorities that we have that you just don't get somebody's attention. You know, we have this attention deficit disorder, ADD or ADHD, and it's very real. It can be very real for people, but also we tend to just check out and we tend to multitask and to keep people's attention. There are all kinds of best practices, but you have to be aware of what's working for you and what isn't. I do think that media can help. You know, there are people who show videos during their speeches or use PowerPoints and all those things. But it's also true that a truly great public speaker can entertain without a device like a PowerPoint, you know, without using that presentation, but you and your voice and your presence being the main act. And you might play around with that and see how comfortable you can get, for example, moving away from a scripted presentation to an unscripted one, which we can also delve into more is what are some techniques for doing that. If you're the kind of person who's always memorized your speech, you've always read your speech, moving to talking points is a great first step. Of course, extemporaneous or impromptu speech doesn't include talking points, but if you know what you're going to be talking about and you want to keep it conversational and flowing, it's kind of nice to know that you have those things in front of you, those points. And it's just basically a list of bulletized items where, hey, first I'm going to do this and that. And you have it in an order so you know what's first, second, and third. So that if you do get lost or distracted or confused or whatever it is during your speech, it's really easy to go off on a tangent. You can look down and get right back on topic. And that's just, I think, the easiest way to do it is to have some talking points. You don't have to memorize them. You could have it on a note card, have it in front of you, but basically a way for you to keep from getting completely distracted and to stay more connected to the audience. And another piece of advice people often give you when you're public speaking is not to talk to the group as a whole, but to look at each individual. So it's like you're having a conversation with one person and everyone else can watch it and hear it kind of like reality television when you're you have this concept that you're almost spying on people in their personal lives but yet of course it's scripted and they know that you're watching them but it's the idea that people are watching you have a personal conversation with someone and it allows you to have that deep personal connection and then you switch it up and look at somebody else and it's like you're having a conversation with them but your audience doesn't care because each time you do it they're just connecting to what you're saying in fact, the breaking points between changing people, like you're looking to the right at somebody and then you're looking in the middle and then you're looking to the left, is a nice point for people to kind of break from what you said before and refresh and listen anew. If you just go nonstop monotone forever, people are going to check out. Even the most interested, dedicated person is going to check out. So that's one piece. The other thing is that your audience may be unknown to you or diverse. You know, what if you have an international audience or you have uh, all kinds of people from different ages and knowing your audience is really difficult because it is so diverse. 
I think then you just have to take a broader brush stroke and you can't just say, hey, I'm gonna focus this way and be very specific. You might have to cover different bases and disclosing the context again of that, telling them I realize that all of you come from different backgrounds, blah, 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 as a precursor to whatever your message is, and then you can be more inclusive. You can also think of it in terms of creating something for people to look at. So there's a visual component, but there's also that auditory component. They're listening to your voice. Your voice is entertaining, which is what we've been working on, but also the visual component of, is it video? Is it moving stuff? Is it something for them to look at as opposed to just looking at you? You look great in your suit, but that's not enough. So you've got the visual going on, you've got the auditory, and then maybe having them write things down if they take notes, if they fill out an exercise, if there's something where you encourage them to jot something down, it can cause the brain to be a little more active. I know there's been research on people physically writing as opposed to using electronic devices. There's a lot of kids now in class, they don't actually take notes like we did back in the day. They may be using their computer or just auditorily recording it so they can hear the lecture later and not writing anything down and that the brain doesn't engage or they don't remember as well. If you've ever had the experience of writing something down and then throwing it away and you still remember it. And so you don't have to have that to refer back to. It's just the fact that you did write it down that helps you remember it. So written word the visual we talked about, the auditory, and then the kinesthetic or the tactile, which is physically, do you have people moving around? And part of that is you can get physical. You can make movements like, yes, I love it. And you're actually moving your body around. So people are living kinesthetically through you and they're not moving themselves, but they're watching you move and you're communicating with your voice and your body. But also you can have them move with you. That is the raising of the hand, the clicking of the fingers. You can ask people to make a specific movement. I think that's why in a concert situation or whether it's music playing or people are singing, there's that active engagement. And we can go a lot longer if we're involved in the show. So is there a way you can involve your listeners? And if it's a smaller group, you might think of asking questions, getting people to volunteer, throw out answers, like a brainstorming kind of a thing. But don't let your credibility be determined by something you don't have control over. Let your credibility be part of your show. So you you are credible by allowing activities that connect to who you are and what you're presenting. And all of these pieces fit together. You know, we talked about credibility last time, but the idea is that you don't have to just talk at them. You can involve them. So if you ask them questions and they answer, you can weigh in and, and not feel like you're losing control. So I think some people say, well, I don't want to give them too much that they can do because it can throw me off my game. You might have to practice it a bit, but it actually adds to your credibility if you can get people to participate in a way that supports the presentation. And again, you have to know not only your audience, but your objective. If the idea is to engage people and to really have them involved in everything that you do, that's fantastic. Then you need to work on what, what you can do, what works for you and what works for them. Lots of variables. There's not one clear cut answer, but that's all about connecting to your audience. And all those things work. They work in slightly different ways and you have to figure out the mix. Changing it up is a general point of good advice. And so you want to make sure that when you are working with people, when you're speaking to people, 
that you are doing a diversity of things, that you aren't just relying on one type of communication, that there's a lot going on. And I think that's kind of just a general piece of advice. Connecting to your audience is so important because if you are just talking in a vacuum, then that is when you can get blindsided by people having an opinion about your work that you didn't know about and things of that nature. So that's why I bring that up. That's why we're talking about it now. Other things related to connecting to your audience, and mostly what I can say is that staying connected to your audience is a skill. It's an art as much as it is a science. And you want to get really, really comfortable with getting feedback from people, constructive feedback, and then trying it out, recording it, listening back to it, and seeing if you agree with what other people are telling you. Again, don't take any of it at face value. But you want to find a way, if it's not an audience that you're intimately familiar with or if it's changed over the years, find a way to change it up and make it interesting. I don't think surveys are a bad thing if people are willing to take them to get some kind of feedback at the end. And, and just asking people, how did it strike you? And maybe ask people you wouldn't normally ask. You know, when we talked about feedback, I said it was important to ask people you trust. But I think if you're talking about just a presentation in general and how well it was received, asking people that you wouldn't normally trust or ask just, hey, what did you think of it? And see if any themes emerge. If there's something that didn't go well and everybody's talking about it, then it probably is something you need to address. So you can be choosy about that, but you can also solicit that advice and, and get it from people and get suggestions and then, of course, be discerning about what you accept and what you don't. But as we've talked about all these areas that we've focused on, we've talked about accent and voice and many other areas, but the idea is that Connecting to your audience is important, but you have to really think about how to do it, how to gauge it, how to assess it. And then going forward, we're going to be talking about other things as well. We're going to be going back to fixing accents and talking about the toolkit to do that. We're going to go back to talking about the R sound. Uh, we haven't actually done a full episode on R sound yet, and I want to do that for you, for people who are curious or for people who struggle with their R sound. The other thing is your voice, pitchiness, squeakiness, deep and throatiness, a setting context, clarity. And then after we've gone through all these topics, I want to sort of circle back to the basics of posture, breath, articulation, syncing verbal and nonverbal communication. And then I'll probably do some videos specifically for first languages like Spanish, Vietnamese, Chinese, tonal languages for sure other languages, French, German, Danish, all these languages, some will have similar issues in common when you speak English and others will sort of be unique in the sense that certain patterns are there that we can discuss. But really getting a handle on what you want to change and how you want to change it is going to improve your speech long term. That's the most important thing. So we will get into all of those topics. I look forward to our next episode and I'm signing off for now, but it won't be long until we're talking and hearing and working with each other once again. 